do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A short verse, short series of verses. And uh, basically what I'm going to take from this is the, the term fear not little flock. Uh, actually, I could say something along this line that uh, Jesus could have been looking way down through the stream of history and seen us and said, uh, fear not little flock. And we are a little flock. And we're trying to follow the word of the Lord and trying to do his will. And in that regard, he's, he's giving us some advice. And the advice is to not be afraid. Now, <clears throat> there, are, there are a couple of... Uh, definitions of fear that we we have looked at before and we'll look at again now one definition of course see if I can get this up there it is one definition is uh, respect and honor actually that that depicts a, a form of worship and it it contains within it the concept of loyalty and deference, honor, respect. All of these terms have reference to the idea of fear as it's taught in the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at, what the Bible says about fear and not what we generally conceive of as fear. Now, the Bible is talking about fear and it uses this term to mean respect or honor. There also is the, uh, the concept in the Bible of fear in terms of, of being afraid or panicky or uh, having fright, terror, or being terrorized or dread. And so I have this demonstration. Of, see if I can get this one up. Maybe I can be overridden here. There it is. For some reason, uh, mankind has always been afraid of snakes. There's been a terror of snakes, a, a fear and a panic concerning snakes and spiders. And it, it may come from the, the, uh, the usage of that illustration in the book of Genesis when the serpent came to Eve and Adam in the Garden of Eden and, and uh, enticed them away from following God. But that's not the, that's not the uh, concept I want to deal with at this point. I want to deal with the concept of honor or respect. Now, I'm going to read a text in the New Testament that is taken from some text in the Old Testament. And as I read it, you'll probably be aware of the fact that many of the things that I'm going to be reading have affected you in some way or another in the last few years, maybe the last few months. What I'm going to say is that uh, our, our nation has been under a constant barrage of concern and dread. Things are happening in our government, in our nation, that has unsettled us. And there are things going on that many of us, if we're Bible believers, do not approve of. We don't approve of what's happening in the government. What I have to remind you, however, is that you are the government. That's the point. 
we are the government. We live in a democracy. And so as a democratic nation, we live under the rule of the majority rules. So when the majority goes against what we believe, it upsets us. When we are in the majority, we upset other people when we do things that they don't want done. But there are some underlying principles involved in the upset that we have as Bible believers. And that is because there are many things that are going on that are contrary to what we understand are the principles taught in the Bible. So as I read this text, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Romans chapter 3 begins at verse 10. It says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands, there is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable, there is none that does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known, there is no fear of God in their eyes. Now that's the concluding sentence. After he talks about all the immoral and obscene things that are being done in his world, and in the, and in the, in the world previous to this, he says the reason why all of this is happening is there is no fear of God in their eyes. So now we have a situation where we have an uproar in society and a disruption of all the morals that we understand are taught in the Bible. There are obscene things being said, and it's pretty well permeated our society. Words that are being used concepts that are being promoted, morals that are being destroyed. And as, as the, uh, David said in Psalms chapter 11, verse 3, he said, if the foundation is destroyed, what shall the righteous do? So what I'm, what I'm going to tell you is this, that we are losing respect for God and we're losing whatever respect we had for the Word of God, we're losing that rapidly in this country. And this is the only, not the only country that's ever done this. It's happened time and again in society. And it was happening during the time of Jesus. And before that, during the time of the Old Testament prophets and writers. It was going on. So there will be a turmoil and an upheaval in society. And things will go wrong. And we will see things that, that are happening around us that are immoral. That are, that are wrong. That are that are unrighteous in their aspect, things that we do not agree with because we know what the Bible teaches and we know what God has said about it. The underlying problem of all of this is there is no fear of God in their eyes. In other words, we don't respect God. And if we don't respect God, we're not going to listen to what He has to say. That's basically what He's talking about in Romans chapter 3. No fear of God in their eyes. When we go back to the Old Testament, the first codification or the coding of the will of God, the instructions that God has given, He gives it to a nation that He has designed and pulled out from other nations called Israel. And He took them out into the wilderness and He took Moses up on a mountain called Mount Sinai and He gave him a codified system of laws 
so that when he came back down to the children of Israel, he could tell them what God wants them to do and how he wants them to behave. And so this is called, the basis of this is called the Ten Commandments. And the very first commandment that's given is, God says, I am the Lord their God, your God, and there is none other beside me. I'm the only one. So, he said, I have all authority. In your life, I have all authority. I am God. And in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, this is just a repeat of what, he's, what Moses said. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You will have no other gods before me. He said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. In verse 7 he says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, but take, that takes his name in vain. Now, the reason why people don't pay attention to what the Bible says in terms of morals, taking of life, setting up rules and regulations, and, and setting forth laws that cover the whole land, the reason why there's no respect for what God has to say is because there's no fear. No fear of God. Now, we're not talking about panic. We're not talking about terror. We're not talking about being scared out of your wits. We're talking about whether or not we actually honor God as God. So, a person says, well, I can, I can use whatever I want to use the name of God in whatever way I want to, and of course they do. The name of God is bandied around as if it's some sort of a uh, some sort of a expletive, which it is in their minds. So people talk about God in the lowest form and lowest means, lowest ways. Why? You say, well, because they're belligerent. So that, that's one reason. Because they don't care. That's another reason. But the main reason is they do not honor and revere God. There's no respect. When you don't respect God, you can use His name any way you want. And they do. And people do. And that's, that's the underlying, underlying foundational principle that destroys a person's concept of reverence toward God. David said it this way. He said, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. He, he's, he's willing to be taught what God wants him to know. He's willing to hear what God has to say. He's willing to do what God wants him to do. Why? He said, unite my heart to fear your name. Not be panicked over what you're saying. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus said. He said, fear not, little flock. What's he saying? He's not saying, do not reverence God. He's saying, calm down. Fear God. We fear God in what way? We fear God by, by hallowing His name, by making sure that we pronounce His name correctly, by making sure the fact that we do not use His name in profanity, by making sure that we don't bandy around His ideas and His laws as if they're meaningless to us and have no effect, no weight in our lives. His father... David's father, Solomon, was the wisest man in Israel and probably the wisest man that's ever lived. In Proverbs chapter 1 at verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And he said in Proverbs 3 at verse 7, Be, wise, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. 
and depart from evil. He's not, he's not talking about be panicked over the Lord. He's talking about honoring God. He's talking about respecting God. If you have no respect for God, you're not going to do what He tells you to do. That's, that's a very obvious point. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 13 says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. One, one fellow that impresses me a great deal is found in the New Testament. His name was Cornelius. He was a soldier. He was a career officer in the Roman army. He lived in a place called Caesarea. And he heard about a man by the name of Peter. Peter was nearby in Joppa. And so he, he sent three of his soldiers, three of his servants along with the soldier, he, one of his men, he sent these three men to Peter's house and he wanted Peter to come to his house to tell him something about God. And that's impressive to me. He just heard about Peter. He heard that Peter was preaching about Jesus. He heard about this. And he sent them on a journey. It took them several days to get there and several days to get back. And they came back with a coterie of about six different men along with Peter. So there were nine guys coming back to the city of Caesarea. And when they got there, here was, here was a man who was an officer in the Roman army. And the text says he was, he was a, a centurion, the band called the Italian band. A devout man. This is how he's described. One that feared God with all his house. Well, you know the man wasn't a coward. He wasn't fearful. He wasn't panicked. He wasn't in terror. This was a man that feared God. He reverenced God. He exalted God in his mind. He honored God. He respected God. And so he sent for Peter because he heard that Peter was preaching something about God. And so he sent for him. And he said he feared God with all of his house. And it says he gave much alms to the people. Now I'll tell you what. I believe I know why he was giving much alms to the people. Because he respected God. He honored God. And when he honored God, he also honored his neighbor. And it says he prayed to God always. Well, we know that we live in a society that is not honor, you know, honoring God. Back in 1955, this country decided to put on their paper money and on their coins the motto, In God We Trust. It didn't come out on folding money or paper money until 1957. This was under Eisenhower's administration. In God we trust. And there has been, since that time, there's been an uproar in this country trying to get that motto removed from our currency. I think the $20 bill is the first bill that's ever printed with that motto, In God we trust. But there have been other states also that have adopted that term, In God we trust, and put it as their state motto. But if we don't trust in God, if we have no confidence in God, then it's very obvious that we're not going to do what God asks us to do. We, we need to honor Him. We need to respect Him. We need to have that distinction of a, as, a, as a people, a people that believe in Jesus Christ, that we honor God, that we hold Him high in our conversation, we hold Him high in our language. We hold Him high in our behavior and how we conduct ourselves and where we conduct ourselves. We live in a country that does not 
majority wise, honor God. You can ask, you can you can take a poll, and the poll says that, that everybody, that most of the people in this country agree with that model and God we trust. But there's a, there's a great number that do not. And a, a vast majority in our country will, will uh, make fun of a person who believes in God and will hold them in low esteem rather than hold them in honor and respect. So what I'm saying is the reason we're having problems, the reason we're having difficulties with the subject of abortion, with the subject of gay rights and, and transvestites and so forth and all this going into law and, and coming into our public domain, we're, 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 the reason we're having problems with that is because people do not respect God and as a result do not respect what the Bible says because that's His Word, the Word of God. They don't respect that and therefore they're not going to apply that to their lives. That boils down to a lack of respect. Well, this the, the idea of respect carries over, should, carries over into our families. And so the Bible teaches, and that's what I'm talking about today, not what this, the society wants, but the Bible teaches that there should be a certain degree of respect and honor and um, reverence, if you will, for our parents. In uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, and by the way, that's what the, uh, what is it, the fifth commandment in the uh, Old Testament log says to honor your father and your mother. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul repeats this. He says, honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Okay, we have a society that, that has arisen up and said, well, I'm not sure that we need to be that respectful to our parents. And as a result of this, when you have a number of young people, a number of teenagers, a number of children younger than that, that are rising up in rebellion against their parents. And the state sometimes will endorse and will encourage that. The, the kids will refuse to do what the parents tell them to do, will disobey them, will, will act as if they don't care about them, will talk to them with, with the unrestrained language. They, they just don't honor their parents. The problem is they don't fear their parents. They don't have an honor for them. Well, I don't know why that is, but uh, it, part of it may be because the state has taken away from us the uh, ability to correct our children when we need to correct them. But that's another subject. All, all I'm saying is that we are in a crisis situation in this country regarding our young people being honorable or honoring their parents. First Peter chapter 5, at verse 5 says, Likewise, you younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Now he's talking about anyone that's older. So that, that should carry with it also the esteem that we have. Not only are we respectful and obedient to our own parents, but to those who are older than we are, our elders. We should have confidence and respect for them. And it, said, uh, it says, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed in humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace unto the humble. So the idea of not having any fear or honor or respect for someone tends to allow us to come up to another level and actually misbehave. 
That's the foundation of misbehavior is lack of honor and respect. Now let's take this on one other step. Let's take it to the authorities and the rulers, people who rule over us. Again, I remind you that we live in a democracy. We live in a country where we have actually, by, by a exemption, we have said that we agree that the majority rules. That's it. We may not like what the majority is doing, but the majority rules. Now, the Bible teaches that as far as governments are concerned, we should have a fear of our government. Now, I've heard some people say things like this. I love my country, but I fear my government. What they're talking about is they, they're, they have a dread for their government. They have a panic about their government. They're terrorists about government. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about honoring and uh, giving respect to the government. Now, I'm going to read a lengthy passage in Romans chapter 13. And we'll talk about it. Romans 13 at verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God, and the powers that be are ordained of God. Wherefore, therefore, resisteth the, whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will you not then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. He is the minister of God to you for good. But if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that does evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore all to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, he's talking about government. And he's talking about the fact that we need to honor the government and need to fear the government. And that, that's what he's talking about in terms of fear. He said if we resist that power, we resist the ordinance of God. We, we need to pause here for just a minute and make some distinctions. First of all, when he talks about the civil government being the ordinance of God and being authorized of God, he's talking about the concept of civil rule. He's not talking about independent, distinct governments that have gone awry. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the principle of government. Without government... Without civil order, there's chaos. And all we have to do today is look at Afghanistan and see what's going on over there. There is no order, no semblance of order in that country, and it's on the brink of collapse. Everything's going, everything's going on, and all sorts of evil is taking place because there's no civil government to hold down the evil. Now again... That's just an illustration of what's taking place. When he talks about government per se, he's talking about the concept of civil government. It's not as if God said, okay, the, the uh, English throne and the English crown is my form of government. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about the fact that in Britain, there is a government 
and government per se is ordained of God. The concept of government is ordained of God. We're not all on our own as people in a society. We have to have some restrictions on our behavior. And in the perfect government, if God were to rule in the perfect government, which He does in His kingdom, if He were to rule in a perfect government, He would make sure that only evil was punished and all of goodness was rewarded. That's the concept that is found in Romans chapter 13. You should just punish the evildoer and reward the one who does good, the righteous. Now that's government. That's the government that God wants. He says rulers are not a terror to good works. They're not, you shouldn't be panicked because of good works, but to evil. Will you not then be afraid of the power? So the, the main concept of God in terms of government is that he wants the government to make sure that they reward the good, punish the evil. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes that doesn't happen. Well, he says, do that which is good and you shall have praise of the same. Sometimes that doesn't happen. It says, though he is the minister of God. How is the, how is the ruler, how is the Roman government in the time of Jesus doing the will of God, being the power of God, when it's crucifying our Savior? Well, the point is, he was not rewarding the good and punishing the evil. He was doing just the opposite. That was a reversal in history. But still, the Roman government per se, government per se, was ordained of God. And so that's why when Jesus was asked, do you pay tribute to Caesar? He took the coin and he said, whose superscription is on this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said, rend unto Caesar the things are Caesar's, unto God the things are God's. So you still have to give obeisance to the government because it is government. But the government doesn't always do the right thing. We know that, don't we? We understand that. But the idea is that the government is still the government and it's still the minister of God. He says, if you do that which is evil, be afraid, for he bears not the sword in vain. So he's saying that the government has the authority and has the right to punish even to death. So that's the right that the government has. Whether the government exercises it properly or not is another question. I'm going back in history to the time of Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the Chaldean Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar was the guy that took the three Hebrew children, remember? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he put them in the fiery furnace. Now that wasn't what he should have been doing, but he did it anyway. They were, God protected them. Then he took Daniel later, he, Nebuchadnezzar didn't, but Darius did, took Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. Shouldn't have done it, but he did it anyway. God protected him. The point is that the government has the right to do that because they are the government. But that doesn't mean they're right because they have the right. You follow me? Because you have the right does not make you right when you do wrong. So I don't think that, that shouldn't be confusing. That didn't confuse you, did it, Jage? No. Because you have the right does not give you the right to do wrong. But they do it anyway. Because that's not God's kingdom. God would, like, well, God would be in control of all of us if we would let Him. But that's not how God works. Maybe we want Him to work that way. When we, when we look at the things that we read in the Bible, 
and we criticize them, we're in fact disrespecting God. When we say, well, I don't, I don't think it ought to be this way. I don't think the law ought to be like that. I don't think this is right. When we start doing that, then we're dishonoring God. And, and you know, the next step is we're going to do something wrong. Obviously, that's going to happen. Anyway, Nebuchadnezzar decided because his kingdom was doing so well that it was all on him. He was the, he was the grand one. So he could do anything he wanted to, and his kingdom flourished. And he actually made, made mention of that. He just told everybody what a great guy he was. What, what was. This was his kingdom, and he was flourishing, and everything was going well for him because of who he was. So God sent him out in the wilderness for seven years. Seven times passed over him. His fingernails grew long like claws of an animal. His hair grew down like the fur of an animal. Till finally he came to his right mind and he decided maybe I was wrong and he came back and God reinstated him, put him back on his throne. And Nebuchadnezzar's statement was, he said, the most high rules in the the kingdoms of men and grants it to whomsoever he will. The most high rules. I don't know what God is doing in our democracy. I'm not sure. I know he's, he's for the right And he's opposed to the wrong. But he does not overrule the rulers. And therein is is the difficulty. However, as a Christian, and here's my point, as a Christian, we pay tribute. As a Christian, we give honor. As a Christian, we pay homage. As a Christian, we give fear or respect. 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. We, he's telling us, be a good citizen. What he's saying, be a good citizen. Okay, in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 13, he said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For this is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Be a good citizen, he's saying. Pay attention. Do the good things. Do the good things as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, honor the king unless, unless the king is in conflict with the king of the universe. Okay? Follow me? You do not have to do evil that the government tells you to do. You have to do the good that the government tells you to do, that's good, but you're not under obligation to do the evil. And I have an ancient example for you. You may, may not have picked it up in your, in your own studies, but let me pick it up for you. We have an ancient example that changed the course of history where one couple said, the, gov- the government is wrong. And I will not abide by what they're doing because it's wrong. 
won't do it. You know who that was? Moses' parents. That's right. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says, and you know what the edict was from Pharaoh? Every male child in Israel was to be put to death. Killed. And Jochebed, wasn't that her name? Moses' mother? What is his daddy's name? Amram, wasn't it? Anyway, the parents of Moses, we know Moses. It said, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. You know what the commandment was? Put them to death. They did not honor that commandment. Can you not honor a commandment in the government? Obviously you can. If it is wrong according to God's word. Be careful. Just because you don't like what the government tells you to do doesn't mean you can step aside from it unless it is wrong as a Christian from God's word. If it is contrary to God's word, don't do it. If it's not contrary to God's word, buckle down and do it. Just do it. What the government says. And he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in, in our pursuits. Well, there is, a, there is a place basically for terror and for panic. And that, that comes, of course, if we're standing in opposition to the will of God. If our lives are not correct before Him, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10, I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now that's panic. If you're afraid of snakes and spiders, you need to be afraid of the wrath of God. There's a more pleasant view of the relationship that we have in Jesus, and it's a life without fear, without anxiety, because we know that when we stand before the judgment throne of God, we have God on our side, Jesus on our side. We have an advocate. So we don't have to be panicked at that. But we do have to have fear. We do have to have honor and respect. But 1 John 4, verse 18, tells us that there's something that takes away the panic. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. You can't be in a constant state of anxiety over the things of God in your life. If you're in the hands of God, you're safe. You're protected. If God be for us, who can be against us? You do not have to fear that it be panicked if you're in the, in the embrace of Jesus Christ and His Father, there should be no fear. But, we should fear Him, honor Him, respect Him, and hold Him up high. And in doing that, that provokes love, and that love provokes obedience to God. God help you in your service to Him that you fear Him, honor Him, respect Him, love Him, keep His commandments.